This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. It is a uh, very, very uh, big cover for our yeshiva, and uh, took a little bit of maneuvering on, uh, on the yeshiva's part and on our part to, uh, to make sure this happened, but we really wanted to make sure that uh, we as yeshiva had the opportunity to hear from Ravon Lopiansky. Um, I will, I don't know the Rav very well, but I could say that I am a secret admirer um, in terms of uh, Ben Torah for Life is one of my favorite svarim uh, out there and just uh, the Hashkafa and the uh, online shiurim and, um, and just uh, getting a glimpse of uh, what real godless Batora is and, uh, and a clarity of thought and a clarity of Hashkafa. Um, and I'll say at the same time, uh, in a world that's very, um, very extreme, a, a real sense of normalcy. Um, and it's not my place to say that, but uh, but to have uh, a Gadlubat Torah who's uh, who's so well thought through, and uh, and to be able to uh, host uh, host Rebbe Nayeshiva. And I know uh, we we share Talmud, and we've had uh, boys from here go to uh, back to uh, Silver Spring uh, to learn there. It's uh, it's it's a beautiful partnership, and uh, we're very very honored to have uh, Ravon Lopiansky with us this morning. Um, it's very nice to be here. As she said, uh, we share a lot of Talmidim, especially the Mashkiach today in Yeshiva is an old alumnus here, quite a few years ago. And Baruch Hashem, it's been a very, very wonderful relationship. Bochum came here and got Ms. Chazik. Bochum from was right place, came and continued to grow. And Mr. Hashem, Torah should continue to flourish in, in, in the, everywhere here. We see in Tetzit Torah, and, and Torah should spread its wings everywhere. Um, I came in and saw the wonderful program. I was looking at the rewards. I was tempted maybe to stay around. You know, it's not, not many, you don't get many offers like that in all of my yeshivas. You know, it's quite, it looks enticing. Um, but I, I, w- I think it's worth speaking a few minutes about it because, it, it, I mean, it, it's a lot more than just increasing Hasmada and learning many more hours. Yes, a, a product of it is that we learn more hours and we learn a lot more and a lot of Hasmada and Transruach. Those, those are wonderful things. But I think there's something to the core of a program like this that is a different quality of learning. And I want to talk about this because I think this is something that should create a perspective on how you go about learning in general. There's a Gemara Sanhedrin that says that if somebody is misnamnim in the Beis HaMedrish, if somebody falls asleep in the Beis HaMedrish, his Torah becomes torn to pieces. Hard to give it a different word. Kroyin Kroyin means torn pieces. Um, it's hard to understand both equations, both parts of this Chazal. Chazal are telling me, um, first of all, what exactly is the specific problem of the falling asleep? Le Marshall, there are, there are things that you're not allowed to do in a base medrash because it's a bizarre. And depends what type of base medrash, depends what type of kedusha. 
there are things that a Talmud Chacham, who this is his place, has more of a right. The different activities that fall under the category of Bizayan, a person should ideally not use this measures for any different So what is it about being misnamnate, falling asleep, that is, that is bad? It, it even implies, misnamnate implies that it's not your fault. You fell asleep. A person eats, he makes a conscious decision on eating. A person schmoozes, he makes a conscious decision on schmoozing. A person falls asleep, he's, he fell asleep. <coughs> and of all the activities that we could consider, it's probably um, the, it's, it's the most neutral. In other words, a person is eating and drinking base medrash, he's doing something. Um, he's doing a pa'ula, he's doing a maisa. But um, when a person is sleeping, he's not doing anything. So it's a kind of neutral area. So first of all, what is this misnam name about? Why is misnam name? Uh, what is especially bad about misnam? What, what are Chazal picking on misnam name for? Secondly, what does it mean? Tyros is nasa kroin kroin. What quality? What negative quality are we expressing about Tyra that we're calling it kroin kroin? Um, the Chavot Chaim actually, in, in Chaim Sadas gives a bit of a muscle that for every person there's like a beged. The Torah that he learns is a beged in Olam uh, Haba. And if it's Nasa, crying, crying, it's like a beged that's ripped. But that's also a muscle. It's a muscle that on its simplest level is meant to make us feel that, you know, it's, it's a Rachmanis, it's bad, it's not good. But is there something specific? Hazal didn't just throw out these things, kind of crying, crying, and, and it's like a magical walking with a rip it. Yes, it's bad. But how does it translate into, into a realistic world? What exactly bad is translate? So I'd like to try to um, possibly, possibly uh, think through something over here. If you take a look at a, um, if you take a look at fancy um, cloth um, sheets, I know, for instance, there's a number for how many threads per square inch, something along those lines. Now, um, so let's say we have, I don't know, 100 threads per square inch. I, I have no idea what, what the norm is and what's fancy, whatever it is. But let's say, so a person makes a cheshbin that in this sheet there are um, a thousand threads. Now, someone tells me, you know what? I'd like you to buy me uh, sheets, and I'm kind of a fancy person. I want thousand threads per square inch sheets. Now, I come back, and I couldn't find any one of them. I have two choices. So I have to bring back something. I can bring back sheets that are 100 threads per square inch, and I can bring back a big pack of thousands and thousands of threads. So I'll come back with a big pack of a thousand thousands of threads, and, and probably it'll be thrown in my face. Because a sheet is not threads. It's made of threads, but it takes on a metzius of its own, and it becomes a sheet. 
Now, um, threads, more threads per sheet is an increase in quality, but we're dealing with the same object. So 100 threads per square inch is, is, um, is poorer quality, but it's a sheet. 10,000 threads are not sheet, they're, they're, they're threads. It has no shaykhs to it. In other words, when I have something that's made of parts, and those parts are integrated in a way in which they create the whole, that is a dovashon, that's a thing. There's quality in how much, and, this, and so on and so forth. When we think of Torah, so mitzvahs, to some degree, are separate. I could put on Talos and in the morning. I could not bench lunchtime. It's, it's, it's bad, but it's not quite one unit and so on. Torah has in itself two qualities. It has in itself a quality where every line that I learn is important. It's Torah. It's a mitzvah Torah. But Torah is an entity. It's a complete idea and understanding. A meseches is an entire woven um, a, a tapestry. It's, a, it's, a, it's an entire woven baguette. And if I'm missing a part of it, it's not just less threads per count. Then I just don't have it. The, the, the understanding that Torah Chazal are teaching us that Torah has a dimension of being an entire Indian. And if I'm missing part of the Indian, I'm not just missing one piece of information, I don't have an entire Indian. So if somebody can explain to me, let's say, I guess somebody has a computer work. If he knows 80% of it, he still doesn't know how a computer works. Because how it gets from the input to the processing, if he has no idea, that I don't know. I know many things, but I don't know how a computer works. How does um, Nazikin work? What, what, what is the proper responsibilities of a person towards someone else when he damages it? There are different halachas, and then there's the understanding of my responsibility towards damaging somebody. Torah itself, yes, every word we learn and every, and every line we know is an important idea. Those are ideas, but Torah is also uh, an entirety of an understanding. So Chazal pick misnam named Dafka. You're right. When a person falls asleep, there's not a um, there is not a here uh, an avera per se, but at the end of the day, the different thoughts and ideas are disconnected. There's a disconnect. So he has one idea and another idea and another idea, but in no way are they connected. The, um, my Rebbe Reb Nachum's Heine of Rache was, um, when I came to, to, to Shol in Tav in, in 1970, um, he started getting sick. He had, he had hypothesis. He went to America and they asked Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, to say the shir instead of him. Reb Chaim was older, his father-in-law. Reb Chaim was a goyen oilom. Reb Chaim Shurim were world famous. But he had tremendous admiration of Nachum. And he expressed it very interesting. He said, no one can give Reb Nachum share. He said, a big Talmud Chacham knows many points 
on, on, a, on a Daf Gemara. Um, a huge Shalom Kohen knows many more points. By Rav Nachum, the points flow together. He doesn't say many Chidushim on a Daf. The entire Daf comes together. That was the way he expressed it. It was a very interesting perspective on what it means, that type of perspective on Torah. <coughs> so Chazal are telling us that Torah itself, they picked on something which is not a bad thing in itself. They picked on something not where you're missing something. So if a person is sitting and talking while the share is going on, he's missing a piece. If a person is sitting and learning his misnamnim, he seems to pick off where he left off, but he's not. It's nasa in kroyen, it becomes pieces, pieces. Pieces, pieces, even if you have all the pieces, a suit cut into six pieces is not a six-piece suit. It's shmatis, the rags, that's all it is. I, want, I saw the Ime Emes, he was the Ger Rebbe, um, this was Emes' son. He says a very fascinating chat. It says in the beginning of Chayesara, it says, Vayu So he puts together two medrashim. Um, it says, Rabbi Kiva was darshning, and people started nodding off. Exactly what we're talking about. So he wanted to wake them up. And he said, Alatove Esther, there was Rebas Pitosh Osora, and she has Mea Esther Misheva Medinas. So the, um, the, the Rebbe Kiva wanted to wake up people that were sleeping, and he told them this, that, that connected the 127 years that, that, that Sarah lived, that's where Esther was. So he stole the suit to the next Medrish, to the Medrish before. It says, who knows, who acknowledges the days of people that are shleimim, tamim eshalim, so on. So, in other words. He was trying to, Rabbi Kiva was trying to point to the same phenomenon of Shlemus. He wanted to wake people up. And this was his way of, of explaining, of sort of telling of this Gemara about what you lose out when you misnamne. You lose out this Shlemus Hayamim, and in the Shlemus Hayamim, we get the Shlemus Hamalchus. A Malchus is one entity. United States of America is not 50 um, states. It is one entity that com- that's comprised of 50 states. Me'avesim v'sheva, the malchus of means these are 127 dis- different and distinct um, countries. And together, there's one malchus, which is that malchus. And that's because there was Tamimus and so on. I- I'd like to apply it to this program and try to, I, I, I want to point out something about the time factor and I want to point out something about the learning itself. The, the um, getting used to the idea, the big change between being someone who learns to someone who's a lambda, in the full sense of the word, is the perspective. 
if you're touching a word, touching a sentence, hearing a kasha, giving a teretz, you're learning, and that's good. But that's not the perspective of Torah. The perspective of Torah is there's a sugya. There's, there's a whole sugya, and the sugya has to flow. If the beginning doesn't connect to the end mentally, um, if, if you don't see how the sugya got from A to, to B, if you don't understand how the Rishonim got to where they got to, if you don't see it as a Dava Sholem, then it's very, very hard for, um, for, for you to really understand it. And it's very hard to get that if the learning is stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. Because you, you visualize it that way. So in terms of the quality of being a Lamdan, like, like we spoke about Nachum, that, that way of Haim, uh, the mind of Nachum. But even to learn a Sugya, Shas consists of Sugya. A Sugya consists of an entire weave of, of different Kashas, Teretz, Maskanas, and, and, and so on. This is also true in terms of memorization. And I, I want to give, I, it, it, it's something which when you think about it it, it, it makes so much sense. Let's say how smart do you have to be to memorize the names of 5,000 parts, 5,000 distinct mechanical electronic pieces, their names, their functions, etc. You have to be quite right to memorize that. Or let's say you have to have at least a very good memory for that. But if somebody knows a car, somebody's a car mechanic, he, he would know that amount of parts and pieces. And the reason is because it's not a random list of parts and pieces. He understands a car. And this is where the gas has to come in. This has to filter the gas. This has to mix it with the air. Mm -hmm. This has to spark it. This has to put pressure this way. This needs to be able to interrupt it and say, because it connects as a car, all the pieces are understood as part of it. And that's why um, it's not difficult to remember it, because you see it as part of one thing. I know a car. I know a car. I live a car. I see a car. Now, I understand the pieces, because they all fit into that picture. One, one of the mnemonic devices for remembering random things is one of the most common, famous uh, tricks is to, get, to make a story out of it. So you usually pick a very funny story and, and you take 25 random items and you somehow put it together. It's not, a, it's not just a trick. It's because you're able to put the things, it becomes one thing to remember, not, not 100 items. You're remembering one thing, and, and the more the story comes together, the easier to remember it, because you're remembering one thing. That one thing now breaks down into subparts which, which you can remember. So having that type of a memory, having that type of a knowledge of Torah, the more the Torah is integrated, and you see something as an entire sukya, it's something fascinating. If you learn a half of, a, of an Indian, whether it's Shohar or whatever, it's usually harder to remember than an entire Indian. Because if you remember the entire Indian, all the pieces click together, they fit together. If you know halachas, 
then you have to remember a lot of parts, and that's excruciatingly difficult. So in terms of getting down the, the, what you're learning and knowing it is also very valuable. So a program like this gives you a certain shlemus, your own sense of learning becomes much more shalim, and your understanding improves qualitatively, and, and, and you're able to increase that knowledge. I want to finish with a um, with Farah Chaim Shlevitz used to say often. Rebbe Kiva left home to go learn. Twelve years he wasn't home. He comes home, Hazal says, says, he heard his wife telling a neighbor that if he'd listened to me, he'd stay another twelve years. He didn't bother to say hello, he went back. So Chaim asked, um, why couldn't you just say hello? Like, why? And his answer was, 12 and 12 is not 24. And the marshal he used was, if you're cooking a pot on an oven, on a stove, if it boils, it's boiled water forever. And, you know, whatever quality boiled water has, if it's, if it's free of any, uh, any um, uh, bacteria or whatever, it's good. If you, if, you, if you cook it five minutes, let it cool down, five minutes cool down, five minutes cool down, it never becomes boiled. Because some things require just an entire process. And disrupting the process starts all over again. So he would speak about hafsakas and learning. In my days, it wasn't even common to go every year to America. When I came to Israel, um, once in two years was the common thing for Pesach. It was very, very expensive. And just, just that's the way it was. But as an approach to learning, Baruch Hashem, the to be in a Mokim Torah, I'm sure part of the brach of Eretz Yisrael, as opposed to America Torah, was is the the type of total immersion and integration that's possible. It's up to us to make the most of it. The less hefsik we have, the less misnamne. So if a person has a choice of learning five hours with interruptions or four hours uninterrupted, you might have to ask a post-sick about Helchus counter, but certainly from a learning perspective, four hours uninterrupted is qualitatively a different world. And, and hopefully the program is, will, will be a, a spark plug. It'll, it'll start something. Because, like I said, if, if you, what, what distinguishes Talmud Torah from being another Maisa Mitzvah that you're doing many Maisa Mitzvahs, to something with a very different perspective, something that sort of is a whole integrated um, understanding of something, is this quality. It's, it's, um, it's something to use, and I'm sure once you get a taste of what it feels like to forget things and just submerge yourself in learning and be uninterrupted, um, the, 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 type of, the type of understanding and knowledge is you afterwards, I'm sure Be'ez Hashem, you'll have cheshek to continue to fight and fight for Hashem. Batzlacher. I guess it, it comes with some perks being ahead of him, my <laughs> So uh, I, I asked uh, the world before, and uh, there's a bit of a controversy, but uh, discussion. Uh, we discussed in one of the sikhot about uh, what's going on in yeshivas and, uh, and 
those that are really, really striking and those that are perhaps uh, struggling more. So I know uh, Rosh Hashiva mentioned he's actually publishing an article on, on the topic, so I asked uh, if you could uh, give us a little bit of uh, insight into that topic. So I, I guess it's, the remarks I make is not what I wrote, it's simply because a, a question is answered, it's addressed by someone, it's answered by someone. I guess the 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 Godel is that let, let's let, let's give an example. If a person is going to a college and he finds out that the college degree is not accept, not terribly valued in the marketplace, <coughs> so what does he do? So let, let's give two choices. One choice is he takes it to his employer, his hopeful employer. Employer says, "Yeah, college X is, is worth nothing," and the guy says, "Yeah, it's their fault. A bunch of losers, good do nothings, really bad place." Or B, he goes to a different college. The problem is when it would come to something like college. If there's a problem, we might angry, we might curse, we might do whatever we would do. We would roll up our sleeves and make sure we do what we need to do. There's a subconscious sense that it's really doing it for Hashem. And if I can have a really good excuse, then um, Hashem has to take it. You know, a note written by my rabbi, it's got you know, to go to Hashem. It was my yeshiva's fault. Well, that type of thinking <coughs> tends to be used when you really just need an excuse. If it's something relevant, like what college you're going to get, you're going to ask yourself, what does the employer want? The, the question is being addressed to us as Yeshiva Bachar. Then we need to ask ourselves, how and what will make me grow the belt most? If I'm really interested in becoming Talmud Chachon or Ben Torah, and I know what a Talmud looks like, then A, I will look for a yeshiva that will bring it out in me. B, I will mind my business what I need to do. So, so when, 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 you, when a person reads a point made that he felt he shouldn't do a, a good job, then the reaction for someone who's still in yeshiva should be, A, what can I do to maximize my time? Do I feel not maximizing my time and I should do it? And B, maybe there's a place that does better with me. You know, it's to sit, it, 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 the shifting of the blame, or placing blame, right or wrong. But I, I'm saying in terms of us as Yeshiva Bachram, we should ask ourselves, well, what can I do to make it happen? If that's what I want to. Yes? So let's reframe the question uh, a little bit and let's make it sharper. You know, aren't, do we really care about externalities or not? Do we really care about externalities? You know, like, why is that important to us? That's a very righteous question, kind of. Everyone feels good about that, that approach. 
So l- let's take a simple example. Imagine you had um, you had a lot of money to invest. You had millions of dollars to invest, and someone and someone has a sign up. I'm an investment banker. You come in. The guy is wearing a rumple pair sh- of, of shorts, an old T-shirt, and hasn't shaved in a day or two. Um, would you be comfortable investing with him? Probably not. There's a reason why a banker looks the way he looks. There's a reason why when you walk into a courtroom, you expect the judge to look formal. So whether you should wear a wig or not, depends if you're English. But, but you definitely don't want him to look like, like the guy filling gears next door. Why not? Externalities are nothing. The answer is, it's not true. Externalities are a message we send. If somebody, if somebody um, dates, if you're dating somebody, and the person looks like they put no effort into um, dressing for, for you, it's a message. We express ourselves in certain ways. There's a reason why we dress one way at uh, some at a place that we want to act very casual. Another place won't act very formal. There's a reason why why they're different. These are these are ways of expressing ourselves. My um, many many years ago, my children took a trip with a, f- a, f- a family from from Hutzar, It's a very good friend of ours, and there was a busload of people, and one of the so so most wait, Shiva type people do. One or two people, not, and one of the people davened um, for the Amit in a pair of shorts. They stopped somewhere davening, davened shorts. My son, who was a young boy at the time, not, not a very big tzaddik, but a, but a big mouth, <laughs> said to him something along the lines of chutzpah, whatever it is. The guy said, where does it say you can't daven like that? So my son told him, this fellow used to work for the prime minister um, doing speech writing. He was, a, he was a very successful person. So my, my son asked him, would you show up in the prime minister's office like this? And to his credit, the person thought a minute, and he said, you're right. I'm never going to down this way again. I'm, you know, I'm going to be dressed. It, you, you, you would think it's a chutzpah if somebody wants to walk into the prime minister's office. It's just been the class of people used to wear anything. They made a dress code because it changes the atmosphere. So the person expresses himself and through how he presents himself. And, and that's why, so exactly what color the Hadayama should be, is that a big difference? But the difference is formal, informal, outrageous, uh, or w- however you want to describe it, the different ways of presenting yourself and establishing a certain level of presentation. It's one of the, it's in halachas of davening, dress is one of them. It's called ikon kecha. Prepare yourself. If you can walk into HaKadosh Baruch the way off the street, then somebody, uh, this I heard from somebody who learned America Zarab at, at a neighbor of mine, very fine person. He said, America Zarab, you know, uh, uh, um, serving the army was, is, is a noble duty. You're, you're protecting Kleisel against Israel, and they, you know, they, they had their own arrangement. But he said somebody walked in Straight from duty into the into the into the base medrash, Rabbi Yehuda told him, "Don't walk in with your muddy boots into the base medrash." You know, I, I don't think he meant literally. I think he meant 
He meant, yes, in the trenches, you're doing a tremendous mitzvah. But a Medish needs to have a breathing space. It says that a person should build a Medish. It says Delos between Delos. Like, you have an outer foyer and an inner, because you first have to come out off the street and then come into the Medish. So a level of presentation that makes you realize, I am now learning Torah. I'm now, I'm now davening. Is is significant? Yeah. Um, what about? Wait, present. What, what's your name? Where you from? Just. Asher Lieberman. I'm from Hillside, New Jersey. I went to JDC. Yeah. Um, what about eating in the base medrash and other wise other things that might be acceptable and not acceptable to do in the base medrash? So again, in halacha, there are a few points about it. There is leeway for Tamir Kham. It's called that's the home. But I think it's appropriate. So, so it's, it's appropriate that a person only do what he has to do. So drinking water or coffee or tea, then okay, you know what? There's no, there's no, it, it, it's, it's something you need. Do you need to eat a meal in the base medish? It takes away from the base medish. So there's a place to make guidelines for, for its seabird, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Yes? Should the person feel bad the only time in his life he's ever going to do it, have that shlemus of learning is this week and a half, right? And that's the only time he's ever going to have hours upon hours. Um, most people are not going to have the chance to do that, really. So is it is one time really enough? He's probably not going to do that the rest of his life. You know, everything is always, you can say something about the year of learning here, two years of learning or whatever. But if, it's, if a person at least understands what you're accomplishing, it serves as a certain marker. I want to tell you something. The, the Mi Yeshiva has, it's been the last dozen years or so, they've had Yarche Kala programs in the middle of the winter. It's, it's more the beginning winter, it's like Thanksgiving's time, because that's the easiest, where people come in for four or five days of learning, full day learning in Yeshiva. People who had learned Yeshiva on today, business or professions, whatever, and a few hundred people come. They have Shurim all day long, they learn Chabrusa, the Iyun. And, and I wondered, this year, two or three of the people were actually from Silver Spring, and they told me it, it was a transformative experience for them, because it, it reconnected them to a world of learning that they weren't there. They had been there 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but, you know, it's, 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 it's a different world. Keeping that as, as a certain guiding light, as a as sort of a North Star, refreshing it every so often, so if a person can continue to learn strongly, that's amazing. If a person can come back to it and touch base, it, it, its value lies at least in, in providing a point of reference to what you can do and, and the tremendous time of learning the famous. Yes? Um, What's your name? It, it, it's, it, it, the black hat started because once upon a time that was a formal garment. If you'll take a look at pictures pre-Kennedy era, all in America, uh, official people wore hats. Uh, in South Africa, much later, you could see you know everyone wearing hats. You think, wow, what are yeshivish-looking government? <laughs> so in the yeshivas, it remained the way the way a remained, the way kapata remained. It's, it's, it's being part of a tzibur, that's all. In, in, in my world, not wearing a hat is a statement of informality. In, in other worlds, it doesn't exist. I think everyone has to, these are the things that are really relevant. What does it mean 
in, in your society. Um, uh, if you live in Senegal, a long flowing gold robe marks Hashivas. In America, it means you're nuts. You know, it's, it, 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 it's, it's a certain expression. So there's a context for it. And, and that's why it, to tell somebody who's in a society who's going back to put on a black hat, because Ketusha will come with a black hat, that, that's, that's absurd. If somebody is in a, in a yeshiva community is not wearing a black hat, the question is, what's it all about? And that's really what it depends on. Yes, what's your name? Um, Gertzberg? Jonathan Gertzberg is your uncle? Oh, wow. It's a former alumni yeshiva. See, we, we even get nephews of alumni yeshivas coming. So, Rebbe is known for, for being interested in science. So, how does Rebbe toe the line between scientific advancement versus Torah when they're juxtaposed or scientific advancement comes out and, and says this part of the Torah isn't necessarily fact? Or how, how do you pick? Obviously, you stick with the Torah, but how do you navigate what, what you take away from it? Uh, so, uh, it's a long topic, it's a broad topic, um, but, but in general, there's no such thing. And I want to explain. Just one point. It, it, it's a con- science. Um, if you if you if you stick to a strict um, to a strict uh, in, uh, definition of what science is and properly should be, is the facts on the ground, meaning that its day outside is a fact. That if the sun is shining, it's five degrees warmer that the sun's not shining is a fact. I measured once, twice, a hundred times in that. That's a Metzius. What happened a year ago, and I find stuff, that's evidence. So Sherlock Holmes is not a scientist. He's creating a scenario which is probable. It, he can never say what happened, and you see a lot of crimes, now especially, a lot of crimes that seem to have been judged, people judged guilty, they've been freed, uh, hundreds of people, because even though evidence strongly pointed in a certain direction, it was evidence, and it was wrong. It's like poor Sherlock Holmes sitting and finding two strands and a spat, and building a beautiful story out of it, and then somebody finds the camera that was, that was recording. Science cannot tell you what happened 5,000 years ago. It can tell you about things that are, and extrapolate. Some of it seems very reasonable, but, but it's very different than telling me that if I light up oil to a certain temperature, this will happen. The same thing is true with psychology. It doesn't, I can tell you facts, which things will, which things will get a person more to do this or to do that, but to tell me that a person doesn't have it in him to overcome, it, it, so science tends to exceed its exact limits. Exactly, it should be a fact. Science can tell you what is. Science can tell you a probable of what was, but it's only a probable. And the further we go back, the more it's a guess. Um, so therefore, I, I don't. I, that part of science to me doesn't even feel a science. It's simply, it's it's projecting. It's also starting with something. And I, I want I want to add another point. It's not a topic. It's a topic that deserves well its own thing, but. Um, every science book that deals with history of the world, beginning of the world, evolution, starts with a sentence. It's not written a sentence, but it starts with an unwritten sentence. If there is no intelligent creator, then 
this must be the scenario. There's no way science can deal with the Mitzvah Sagesh Rock. And um, someone told me, his name is Professor Danishevsky, he's a big biochemist. I want to speak to him about something. And um, his great grandfather was actually very harsh of a Rav, was less Rav, I think, of less of a Sabotka, but he, um, he said that his wife, some, he and his wife were attending some lecture, some conventional biochemist, and the, 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 um, the, the person lecturing was, was explaining how a certain critical molecule exists in a way that almost defies probability. And, um, and then, so his wife, like, sort of very instantly, I just said, so I guess it must have been designed to fit it. And he said, obviously. And then the person caught himself and he left. And he said, oh, well, you know, we, we're, we're not going there. But, but, but you know, it, it, it's so science starts with a very unscientific point. Barring an outside creator, science can't deal with a creator. And I understand that. But therefore, science should be limited to the here and now. Does this vaccine work or not? Science belongs there. Um, because I can take a thousand people, vaccinate them, expose them, and see yes or no. But, but, but when it starts telling me what was, then they are, they're, they're using what evidence to build something, but it, science doesn't, the word science shouldn't exist over there. And again, it's a long topic, it's, it's a broad topic. I, you know, it's something that needs, but I, just you raised the point, so I, I wanted to address it. Yeah. Okay. Um, what should be the balance between um, investing one's time in learning, talking about a guy who's capable of learning like full time or something like a good part of the day, and engaging in other activities such as uh, studying other intellectual areas, broadening your horizons, etc. I'm talking about not just like for practical reasons, but for the very sake of taking up more knowledge and understanding the world better. From her perspective, what should be the balance between these two timelines and also in terms of investing your effort? So there have been differences of approach, of opinion. Um, the Rishonim the, the, the seem to have been conversant with what was, um, what was general knowledge. Hard sometimes know exactly, it's hard to know what was available, how much, but they definitely were conversing with it. Uh, somewhere like the Gra, except for certain areas, was very, very knowledgeable in it. Others you don't find. This seems to be a sense, you know, less man the Pollock, that knowing it, the, 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 um, the Tanya mentions it very briefly in, in, in one of his early parakim, that if a person is using it to understand Dark Hashem better, because everything has to be with a perspective of why am I doing it. So sometimes a person has a natural need, a person who's a musician has a natural need to play, natural need to, to understand music. A person who is intellectually curious has some natural need to understand the world around him. There's also an Indian that I see HaKadosh Baruch in many different ways. And I see how he manifests himself in, in the world. So a person should be using a balance between Iker, the, the content of Torah, the essence of Torah is the Iker, and these are branches of it. The Gemara, the Mishnah speaks about you know, um, things that are gufe, you know, halachis, things that are papyrus, lechachma. So reaching some balance of knowing Torah's core versus understanding how it branches and leaves out 
needs needs a person to make that balance. It's hard hard to give any clear, but some. But again, a person. There are people who have a natural need for it, like a musician has need for music, and there there are chachamim who felt that this was appropriate. Some more, some less. Maybe one, one more question. One yeah. More. One more question. I have to go. Yeah. See in the last one. I don't want to interrupt the learning. I mean, this is, you know, it's going to be all misnam name and no, uh, and no, uh, yeah. Uh, what answer would really give to guys who find, like, struggle with uh, struggle? Uh, yeah, myself included, uh, definitely, this past week has been highlighting this particular, like, struggle, but staying focused, like, you know, maybe every few minutes, like, I'll, like, I'll uh, think of something else, and I'll run up, and five minutes goes by, and I'm going to be in the line of the bar. Like, what answer would really give So it, it is the struggle of everybody learning. Very, very few people are born glued to a Gemara. Um, believe it or not, many people at this learning Basmada Rabbah are had the same struggle, come out everybody. I suggest a few things. First of all, knowing that as time goes on, you, it, you, you get better at it. You know, it's giving up and keeping on beating up on yourself for, for, for is not an answer. Two, the more you can be expressive in the learning, if you're learning yourself, you say out the words, you think the question through in your mind, you're learning with a chavrusa, the, the more you're engaging some physical parts of yourself, the, the less likely you are to wander off. One of the reasons why we wander off so badly is because 95% of us is not engaged in learning. It's, it's, it's very hard to sit in one place, put you on the most comfortable couch and tell you to sit here. That's something that's very difficult. If you're doing something, it's much easier to stand and, and, and swim in a pool because all of, you, all of your body is engaged in it. You can do that until you just simply fatigue. So if you're learning and, and, and you're active in it, you speak out the kasha with your mouth, you think through the kasha, instead of just kind of being passive about it, those are, those are things that are helpful. And, and, and just the knowledge that the, as you get into it, you begin, things begin to snap into place, you begin to think about it. It's, it's, you begin to understand the bigger picture, and then, and then you try to, to, to run the whole thing through your mind. So, so uh, learning in an active way, not paying attention to the fact that it's still not going where you want to, and, and with the knowledge and the hope that it makes a shame in time, things will, will change. Okay, Thank it's been very a very, very special uh, and a lot of